32 counties. United by people. My name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is... United Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> We're giddy goats today. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland, beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. What's that? What? What? What's what? That? what? what? This week, we are leaning into positive energy. We know things have been rough over the past while. The endless stream of bad news. The impact of COVID causing many things to break down. The cost of living crisis and inflation. Political discord in Ireland. Roe versus Wade. War. People on edge. And a discombobulating gloom uh, that can all get a bit much. Mm. Um, so in this episode... We're looking at the top 20 things that make the summer jam in Ireland. From it good vibes. Nothing but a summer jam. From, good, <laughs> from Andrea's karaoke to good vibes around the potential for change to deadly parties and happy ways to spend your time. That's right. If you're fretting, if you're stuck on a dart, if you're breaking open the doors, let this fresh podcast air. Fill your nostrils with joy. It's time for the United Ireland Summer Jam. Do you know what else is a jam? Go on. If you are filled with uh, good vibes after listening to this podcast and you want to spread maybe some of those good vibes back at us, do you know what you can do? pop on to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland where you can pay for this podcast and keep it going for just three euro a month you can make United Ireland last forever and help us pay the costs associated with you uh, getting episodes you deserve stunning so to all the kings queens turbo dreams already supporting us happy summer have a spritz thanks for your support we love you now let's get it less stress more success I feel Andrea is the vibe at the moment the best one of those made up phrases that has ever existed that was actually the name of a um, study book I for was given search. for the oh. search, Yeah, I actually make it my mantra. Less I don't even know less. what was in the book. I must try and find an old copy of it and see what was actually in it. I think it was just like, I don't know. Okay, um, so what are we going to do? We're going to count down the top 20 summer vibes in Ireland. Actually, they also occur in no particular order because we are very egalitarian, non-hierarchical. We feel that everything has equal merit. We're just total, you know, that's just our vibe, you know. Zen babes. Everyone's Uh, happy about us. You know, Andrea? (laughs) Zen babes. (laughs) Okay, so let's go. Um, Give me a summer vibe that you think is going to cheer people up. Number one, outdoor cans. Our campaign to repeal the Dublin City Council bylaws on drinking in public space starts here. I feel like this is a really, compared to other laws, 
an easy one to get over the line because if you can change the bylaws which prohibit um, alcohol in like alcohol in a park or like public space or whatever, then everything would just be a bit more vibey and more accessible to people because the law is actually around the selling of alcohol. That's the national law, I believe, in terms of how like a license alcohol can only be sold from a licensed premises. Okay. But the, but the bylaw is about where you can drink it basically. And it gives the cops power to like take booze off you or be like, no, you can't drink there even though you're an adult and even though you're having a barbecue or you're just hanging out with your friends in park or something. So I feel like let's just seed this one and let it germinate and see what happens. I have a question. Yeah. Now, obviously, I don't condone this, but does anyone abide by that bylaw? I think people don't, but I also think people get caught and it clogs up the courts, clogs up um, guard the time. And also it raises questions about who actually gets policed in cities. So, for example, I would imagine if there's a bunch of people sitting, you know, on a red wine, a Merlot and a few glasses, Grant. Yeah, but if you're like a bunch of lads having some cans by the canal, you're probably much more of a target for the police. So I feel like it raises questions about who gets policed. Also, in terms of like people who might might be in an addiction scenario, street drinkers and so on, end up clocking up all of these charges um, for all, all that kind of stuff, which, you know, negatively impacts their lives. So I just feel like we're grown-ups. Um, if you want to walk down the street with a beer, you should be able to. If you want to sit in the park and have a little spritz with your friends, you should be able to. If you're like, a, you know, bunch of people on the way to a match and you want to have a drink on your way or whatever. Like I'm not about, I'm not encouraging alcohol consumption here. I'm just discouraging prohibition and over-policing and how policing can actually it's not equal for everyone, obviously. And I just feel like people should stop being hassled for having uh, a drink when they are legally uh, age-wise allowed to. So I just I feel have, like... I have a feeling on that, that we have such a culture of binge drinking because of the restrictions that are in place of how mm-hmm. we drink. We um, When we are allowed drink, we go banana town on it whereas if drinking was seen as something that you could take or leave because it wasn't a big deal if you had um a beer on your uh, on the park or whatever then the power of that would be removed and the it feels like it's a psychological thing for irish people obviously because it's so ingrained in our in our um culture but if we had the opportunity to maybe start learning of how to consume in a more like less banana ten way that could be part of the yeah I think so I think you'd probably come up against kind of straw man arguments from um, publicans in particular that like oh well people won't come into a pub to buy a pint for like six euro if they can get have a can or they'll drink outside pubs or whatever that kind of stuff is for me it's like there's not one place that you should only be allowed to drink like your home or a licensed premises. And people are charged through the nose for alcohol. We know the reasons for that. We know that Ireland has, I think it's um, 100% or more above the European 
uh, average for alcohol pricing. And we know that that is because of ridiculous taxes and duty on alcohol and also because of minimum pricing that was brought in despite the fact that concurrently research was emerging from Scotland that it doesn't actually um, reduce the alcohol consumption of problem drinkers. So that was really short-sighted. But in terms of publicans saying, well, if you people can drink anywhere, then they won't be able to drink here. That It's a totally different offering. There's a real big difference between like walking down the street, having a beer and sitting in a pub and having a pint or getting a cocktail or something. It's a totally different offering. And in terms of people drinking outside of spaces like, well, you know, they won't come into the pub. They'll just stand outside with cans. All you have to do is basically police your own premises you're not allowed to drink alcohol, you know, outside of here. Only I alcohol have. purchased on, on, you know, in this mm. premises can be co- consumed outside of it. You see those um, notices for toilet use. So I don't see why you wouldn't be able to see it for that. So if I we think we liken it to together. Go on. We are allowed to have picnics and food outside. Yeah. That doesn't mean restaurants aren't visited. Because exactly. a picnic is very different to having a meal served to you. And you're allowed to play football outside. That doesn't mean nobody goes to Lansdowne Road or Daily Mount Park or wherever else to see a match. So um, here's another example. I'm, only joking. We could be I'm, here I'm into now. these ones, though. Yeah. <laughs> Get them ready now for Lifeline um, when we, <laughs> you know, crack the infrastructure of alcohol consumption. Um, but it's a good one. And I feel like just seeding it in people's you know, might, you know, open up how we should be more, less prohibitionist as a society and treat people as adults and with respect and actually allow people to access socialising without having to spend loads of money. I think it's a no-brainer. Number two in our summer jam, um, not having to listen to people shout in at each other in the dull because they're out shouting at each other in meetings. <laughs> Yeah, there could be a side note that said, well, you don't have to listen to them. You could turn it off. However, as our government, we do have to listen. There you go. Correct. Um, what's number three now? This is your, your really up your street, given your ongoing lifelong Wicklow love affair. So the giant slide in Wicklow at Avondale, it's beyond the trees. Um, it is a walking tower that you go around in a circle that's, circumvents is that the right word absolutely not that goes around a slide and when you get to the top of the slide you pay two euro bring your phone or a two euro coin because there's no signage down at the bottom to tell you to do that and then you get a mat and you go down the slide and you say all the way home have you been on it no um a family member received from Uh, people who have yeah, my uh, someone in my family was out there the other weekend and they were sending photos into our family WhatsApp. I was like, the size of this thing, it's so impressive. It's, I just think that's deadly. Where did it come from? That's what I want to know. I don't know. It's probably, it's pro- okay, let's not go into <laughs> whatever it's going. So yeah, Avondale Beyond the Trees. If you want a slumber slide, slumber slide, summer slide, say that after your, the bylaws are repealed. <laughs> Mind, um, mind your elbows as well. Keep your elbows within the moving vehicle because you might get a little burny. Okay. Uh, number four, Dublin Fringe Festival and Dublin Theatre Festival tickets are on sale. They're both on the horizon this autumn. There's loads of stunning things on. Um, so go get some tickets. We recommend Wake by This Is Pop Baby. But there's loads and loads and loads of stuff on. And so Oliver get involved. Ex-Anthony's one as well. 
Looks Oliver fab. Cromwell isn't sorry. Yeah. Yeah. What an amazing title. Um, very much into that. I what just else? love like, Anthony's work. Like he just is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And he's a vibe. Yeah. Number five, there's a new era of skate parks in Ireland. There's V36 in Antrim, Le Fanau in Ballyfermot, Inishore uh, did a pop-up, not a pop-up one at the festival, they built one. There's plans for Dunleary um, and Portobello has had the plans released. Now there has been pushback because the skate element has been completely um, pushed out. So uh, comments on the Dublin City Council's parks um, pla- uh, posts on social media are directing people to go and make comments in the in the official way. So if you do feel passionate about having escape presence um, at Portobello, where it has been for the last 25 years, do make a point of going to that and having your say, because if you, if you don't have a say, you can't have a man. Correct. 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 And we're going to be keeping on an eye on that Portobello um, plans and designs as they develop. And we'll probably do a little episode on that soon. Speaking of skate parks, I just think there's loads of parks and gardens and things like that that are a little bit off the beaten track or maybe a little less discovered by people or less popular that offer um, a summer jam. For example, the Wexford Lavender Farm in Gorey. Boom. Uh, the Bee Sanctuary in Wicklow. We did an episode on that ages ago. And if you check that out, you can go down by appointment only. I was writing about the Barrow Rainforest um, this week with regards to how we need to get rid of Sitka and plant more broadleaf. Um, and it's it's kind of difficult to visit that one. But um, the guy who runs it, Owen Dalton, has a book coming out called, um, I think it's an Irish Atlantic rainforest or an Atlantic Irish rainforest and that's coming out in September so that's defo summer jam as well to learn about temperate rainforests in Ireland and how we can really it's not just about rewilding it's about like bringing our landscape away from this kind of barren overgrazed you know plains and uh, having just like gorgeous lush verdant forests in it that's just better for everything better for carbon capture and storage biodiversity all the little animals and general gorgeousness so I really feel that that's going to become more and more part of our discourse on climate en general because we're temperate climate we can have temperate rainforests they used to exist they still exist in pockets and that's what we need to be focusing on and I think that's just a very solutiony optimistic uh, way to approach um, the various over-farming, over-grazing uh, forestry destruction that's going on and over, over-sitka-ing. Gorgy. Uh, number seven, licensing laws being reformed. Uh, there is movement on the nighttime economy vibes. Sinn Féin brought a bill forward. Um, give us a night. We're in the Arachthus giving a briefing Um with Fintan Warfield uh, to uh, the, the people of the of the doll. Um, and it's still trucking along. Helen McEntee has given her uh, her promise that it's going to go over the line. We can but wait in hope. Um, I am remaining cautious, optimistically cautious. Mm. Number eight. This is really important and I think it's going to become a much bigger conversation across Europe as the energy crisis 
gets more intense. And it's about how the free public transport movement is gathering steam across Europe. Now, obviously, there was that whole thing about the Lewis being free. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's free. Yeah, of course, which is such a great innovation um, in an Irish context. But I think that this is going to be something that's really going to increasingly come to pass. Germany, of course, uh, loads of people will already know that they have this nine euro unlimited monthly pass for all public transport anywhere in the country for the summer. So their monthly pass was around 100 euro. Actually, I think that was just like for public transport in cities. I know that the Berlin one was, was around that. And what they did was they went, screw that. We need people out of their cars. They're freaking out, obviously, about gas and fuel and everything in Germany because they're much more vulnerable to um, the curtailment and sanctions around the Russian supply of energy and fuel. So they were like, we're just going to do this flat nine euro thing for everything. So you can get the train from Berlin to Munich, use all of Munich's buses, whatever, go back to Berlin, use the U-Bahn, use it all for nine euro a month. Flat. Yeah. Boom. You can't, Dream. You can't even get like one station. On I know. <laughs> it's Seven, Ireland. Eight, seven eight, 78 euro train ticket to Cork, anyone? <laughs> um, Spain has also introduced free rail transport on loads of routes for four months. Actually, I think that they are doing that September 1st. And that's on one of their uh, rail networks called Renfe, I think. And that's, again, um, multi-city free rail transport. Amazing. And I was looking into this loads because I was writing a bit about it the other week. Um, But there's actually a good few places in Europe where public transport is free. Luxembourg, Tallinn, Dunkirk, Auberge, maybe there's some other... French place and Malta is introducing free some free public public transport bits in October. So just make public transport free. It just makes so much sense. We won't be able to get people out of their cars until we do that. And also there's a, a broader conversation, which we might do down the line, ding, ding, about um, how we need to just radically change, improve, add to Ireland's rail network. Um, so we yeah, might, I think we might need to take some of the public transport back from uh, private run commercial people. Key shout out to Mick Lynch. Um, what's coming up next, Andrea, in our top twenty summer jam? Oh my god, office culture is in flux. Um, and okay, if you're a commercial office letter, that's a bit of an issue. However. If you are just a citizen of the co- of the cities or count, country, counties, country, uh, there's a lot of opportunities that that presents um, of what the usage of those places could be and the folk and the resources that have been used to make offices and continue to be um, maybe used for housing, maybe used for public amenities. Maybe all those offices that were built could be put together to make the public library on Parnell Street even. Correct. And um, this is, um, there's kind of two things happening here. There's the um, predicted and slow, slowly burning um, commercial property crash that's basically going to be rolling increasingly. Um, and, you know, there's loads and loads of stuff um, being talked about in the US about this at the moment, but it's really um, starting to, to manifest in Ireland as well. For example, Meta um, Facebook are halting the fit out of their headquarters in Balls Bridge. The fit out date, basically, they're kind of pushing it back. Um, that there's HQ. Some people, there's some people working in there already. There are, yeah, but I think more for the whole for the whole thing, like certain aspects of it, because it's such a massive campus. I think it's um, 
Facebook's largest campus outside of Menlo Park in California. Um, and then Twitter in Dublin are actually moving to sublet a floor of their office externally. So you can really see that this idea that people will just come back is just not going to happen. Office culture is, is as uh, it has is either over or either completely change. That obviously has some good, really good um, side effects, for example, like stopping commuting um, and people having more flexible work life, but it also presents issues for housing and also like mentorship and collaboration, particularly amongst younger workers. But we do know that we need to prepare for the fact that so many office blocks around the country are still empty or are barely being used or maybe like they're at 20, 30 percent capacity. And it's like you have all of this empty space and we're in a space crisis in this country in terms of where where we can build housing and public housing. And it's kind of that thing of like, how can we fast forward to the inevitable where these buildings are converted? Like somewhere like Grand Canal Dock, for example, just convert loads of that stuff back into housing. Just get the buildings back, you know, because the idea of building these massive, massive blocks that are managed by a company in dense urban areas where people are not filling them up is just waste. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of construction costs. It's a waste of space. And in a housing crisis, we need to think just totally, not even radically, just sensibly right now and go, these offices are going to be much, much, the space they need is going to be much, much smaller. We need more space for housing. Let's figure out a little solution there. So I think that's a summer jam vibe. Pop that into the doll. Let's just come up with a little solution there, guys. <laughs> uh, more pedestrianisation is happening. Oh, controversial one here. Uh, Parliament Street is going to be pedestrianised in the evenings from July 21st to the end of August. And um, there's more permanent proposals to be brought in in September. Uh, the gay agenda is working. Um, <laughs> that was uh, my bit that I put in there. <laughs> DCC have agreed to pedestrianise Set William Street in the Dublin Development Plan. I just want to clarify because all the headlines were like, Set William Street's going to be pedestrianised. Claire Byrne brought a motion that it should be pedestrianised and included in the Dublin Development Plan. A win. It is being included. However, it was also included in the last development plan, which was 10 years long, which it still isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still, and the D- Dublin Development Plan doesn't come out till November. So it puts it gives the council the onus to go after pedestrianisation, but it's not confirmed. Um, but apparently the car park um, are open to conversations now, maybe about turning right. So it could be closer than we think. Obviously, all that publicity has brought about no harm. Mm-hmm. So we will watch this with interest. But a question I would raise, I know this is positive palm vibes, is once we get to the point where we're allowing no cars on these streets, the streets are then just being left as empty roads with people walking on the paths and an empty road. So it doesn't, it, it's not like a pedestrianized area. It's just like an empty road. Yes. And we see this in um, Capel Street in Dublin with, now I know that they're kind of changing surfaces and stuff like that, but it just feels like, this kind of piecemeal or half-arsed way of doing pedestrianisation. It's like, the cars are gone now. There you go. It's like, what about urban design? What about maximising this area in a really beautiful way? What about creating public seating in this now that it's pedestrianised? And I just feel that, like, where's the follow-through 
And once again, it kind of feels that thing a lot of the time with the council. And I saw somebody say something on Twitter that was really interesting. They were like, it often feels like Dublin City Council is doing things at the city. Do you know what I mean? And and that's a really good distinction as opposed to like for or with. And I just feel like there was so much public um, push and campaigning and petitioning for pedestrianisation. And then it's like, okay, grand, we've done it. And it's like, yeah, but it's not just about putting up a few scabby Stop little down. bollards. Do you know what I mean? So um, unfortunately, uh, we have to stay alert and uh, stay on the tail of our various yeah. local authorities to actually follow through and make a thing gorge like they've done with pedestrianisation plans all over the country in Cork, in Dunleary, in loads of places. The one thing I know that would be the pushback is that these streets are pedestrianised only from 11am. So... Cable Street isn't. What? Cable Street, it has room for deliveries, but it doesn't mean that you can't put like nice seating and oh, nice trees up to 11 cars have to be able to access it so that's why I'd say those roads are just empty roads which is shit more trees more trees more trees more trees um, number 11 in our summer jam positive palm uh, the Lido that is being proposed for George's dock now obviously the whitewater rafting gate that went on for like half a decade or something has been scrapped uh, what a waste of time. Everybody knew that. What a waste of money. Waste of time, waste of money, waste of energy, waste of like stress. Um, everybody knew that that was not an optimal idea for the area. Everybody knew that it was just like not going to be something that um, people, the communities in the area would be able to avail of um, to the same degree as something that was um, more useful and that had like public amenity philosophy at its core. So of course, after everybody saying, wouldn't a pool be a better idea? Um, they're now putting that kind of thing into the plan. Some people, some politicians, councillors in the air are kind of pushing back from that. They're like, oh, it's just the same thing all over again. But um it's not, you know, like if there are, if there is a public Lido that's free or really, really super duper affordable with family pools, diving pool, um, all that kind of stuff, that's just much more accessible and relevant uh, as a public amenity than an expensive whitewater rafting thing for tourists and the occasional whitewater rafter. So that's a positive thing if that actually happens, if we do have like so many other European cities, um, free public pools. Uh, I think that's a vibe. Una, we've got the sea. Why do we have to have two things? <laughs> uh, number 12, there is still loads of festival season to go. It is not coming to an end just yet. Uh, specifically, All Together Now, um, Another Love Story and EP coming down the line. Buzzing. You're going to All Together Now, are you? I am, yeah. Oh, like stunning. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, number 13, it's summer. There's a little bit of a nicer vibe in the air. You can go out, you can do your exercise outdoors, you can meet your friends in a beer garden. The sun is shining. We know the negative impacts of heat waves and the climate crisis and all that kind of stuff. But it does give you a bit of a lift. Although, can I just go on a little sidebar here and just do a bit of like an energy check like an yeah. energy check. Yeah, because get the Paolo out. Get the Paolo out. Because last week, 
um, it felt like there was a strange energy around that was somehow related to the weather feeling very different. Now, we know what was actually happening. There was a scorching, devastating heat wave um, in so many different countries, uh, particularly in our next door neighbours and all around Europe and stuff like that. But it felt like some weird kind of oppressive humidity that the clouds were catching. And there was a strange blustery wind everywhere. And I kind of also felt it when I was watching the All-Ireland Football Final on TV, that there was just this strange energy around where people felt kind of unmoored or something. And it kind of reminded me of John Didion's writing on like the Santa Ana winds come in and they kind of fuck with people and they create this weird change in people's stress levels or short temperedness. And I just kind of felt that was kind of around. And I wonder what that's about. Are we kind of energetically realizing now that things are different and things have changed, but we can't necessarily put our finger on what that is, but everyone's just feeling a little bit antsy and somehow the like barometric energy is kind of reflecting that or drawing that out. So I feel that there's shifting sands going around energetically for people. Do you relate Mm. to that? No. No. (laughs) Cool. Let's move on now to um, number 14 on our our entry. (laughs) <laughs> safe <Go on>. zone <laughs> legislation is being implemented in Ireland to ban protests outside abortion facilities facilities that carry out abortions um, this has been in the works since the vote where the majority of people voted for um, and yeah it's gotten Stephen Donnelly did his announcement on Twitter yesterday it's across the line um, now the pushback obviously is that this stops protest it doesn't you can protest uh-uh. wherever you want maybe just not where people who need compassionate care are going so it's great news and it's really heartening to see Ireland do, implementing stuff like this when when we watch across the water and see what's happening across there and um, that we're continuing to move uh, in a caring and loving uh, direction for the people who need abortions. Yeah, I saw, um, who was it? It was Mark Paul, I think, saying... Um, you know, that this, uh, uh, who's a journalist with the Irish Times saying that this was a retrograde step and it's like a blanket restrictions on these kind of blanket restrictions on the right to protest. It's not a blanket restriction on the right to protest. It's not. Like, you, like it's, it's about women being specifically targeted when they're accessing healthcare. It's about women feeling harassed at a really vulnerable moment. Uh, it's about safety of people who are accessing healthcare. There is no ban on the right to protest at all. People are totally entitled and able uh, uh, to protest if they want to about anything um, where where they want. It's just that you can't do it when women at a potentially really vulnerable time um, are walking into a, a hospital or a clinic or something like that. I mean, this is just basic stuff. People should not be harassed if they're going uh, for, you know, to access healthcare. I mean, if there was some mad lobby group who had an ethical um, or moralistic or theological argument against bones being fixed and they were standing outside hospitals 
harassing or haranguing or shouting or engage in some kind of silent moralistic prayer about the ethics of repairing bones or something like that. People would just be like, this is ridiculous. Maybe don't do this. Do it a hundred yards down the road, do it wherever you want. But this is just like not fair and it's silly and it negatively impacts people. So no, I mean, that's just what it is. It's not just on people who are availing of the treatment. It's also the providers who are being Mm -hmm. harassed as well. So people have a right to go to work without being harassed. Yeah. Or feeling like they're being harassed, even if people who are protesting don't feel that putting up loads of little crosses or saying the rosary is, you know, is is harassment, which they may not feel that at all. But you can absolutely have any protest um, uh, against whatever whatever you feel. So this, it's, it's not that. So I think that's a really, really positive step. And um, it's a humane and empathic step as well. So good. Uh, Number 15, dereliction conversation, ramping up. Um, Pascal D announced a vacant property tax thing that's kind of going ahead. That's been like in the works with um, jumping between revenue and councils and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, when that stuff was being collected by councils, they didn't have the resources and it just wasn't happening. And I just feel that loads of different um, kind of dereliction conversations are are occurring right now. We did a recent episode on this. You can listen back to that. Um, Cree Cone had this the policy name or whatever, a bunch of policy name. I just hate that name so much. It just feels even grammatically incorrect. Anyway, they have this grant now to refurbish derelict and vacant homes. Um, so if you want to get, get on your little uh, refurb dream. Uh, that's available as well. So I feel like it is moving in the right direction and uh, hopefully that will encourage more people to be living in urban areas. It's much more sustainable to refurbish a building than it is to just knock things down and build new ones. So I think that that kind of stuff is going in the right direction and well done to all of the kind of activists and people highlighting this issue with with, the, with their projects around derelict Ireland and different um, uh, incidents of dereliction in Cork and Limerick all over the place. Um, you're all you've all contributed to bringing this very obvious um, issue that actually holds loads of solutions within it uh, to the fore. So bravo! On a side note to that. My house is kind of nearly derelict when I got it and it's now I got a bear rating and it's a high B, the final rating to come in. But like apart from solar panels, I'm like living the sustainable dream. Well done. Bravo. Number 16, Andrea. Cranes are back hatching in the bogs. For anyone who listens to our Sunday Soothe, which you should because they're lovely. Um, We talked about this a lot, but... um, yeah, cranes haven't been coming to Ireland for a long time and following the rewetting of the bogs, um, there's two that are getting busy with it. Uh, sorry, excuse me. That was, the, no. <laughs> violent. Uh, in the bogs, the exact bog hasn't been released um, for, for safety reasons. For their privacy. Very men in black. Um, but yeah, it's stunning. You know, take a bit more away there on cranes. I think it's 300 years since cranes last bred in Ireland. Um, and obviously cranes are so important in our uh, mythology, apart from anything else of our gorgeous bird life. So it's amazing to see these stunning birds back where they belong in the bogs of Ireland. It's my little song. 
Shout out to Solange, who also wrote a great song about cranes, but I feel like my one is better. <laughs> Number 17. <laughs> Number 17. This is exciting. It's your one. Oh, right. It's my one. Um, Manco McGann has a new book coming out. It's called Listen to the Land Speak. It's going to be out in October. That is incredibly exciting. Obviously, we're massive fans of um, his previous books, most notably 32 Words for Field. And we had him on the podcast talking about that. He also put out the um, Tree Dogs and Banshee Fingers book about words about nature and also the Sea Tamagotchi book about um, fading and near extinct, but bringing back shoreline words in Irish. And I haven't read this book yet, um, but I'm going to be reading it soon, getting a copy soon. Woohoo! And it's meant to be absolutely amazing. And the more conversations we have and the more information that's given to us, especially in the way Mancon writes, that connects us back to the land and our spirituality connected to the land and our language connected to the land and the integrity of the land. It really reaches people in a different kind of way, I think, than just the general nihilistic cycle of climate crisis conversations. So super excited by, about that. Listen to the Land Speak is the name of that book. That is going to be a defo end of summer slash autumn slash sauny vibe, I feel. Mm. Mm, take back our pagan festivals. Uh, number 18, the government is hemorrhaging support in the polls. How do you feel about this being a summer jam point? <laughs> um, how do I feel? I just feel that I don't know what the solution is. So mm. I am, um, this isn't the solution yet, but I suppose you have to go through the uncomfortable to get to any point of change. So I'm ready for the uncomfortable, but yeah, there you go. I guess everybody wants, not everybody, an awful, <clears throat> an awful lot of people want um there to be kind of systemic change in loads of aspects of Irish society across housing, across even things like FDI and the data centre shit show, um, across education, across health, across childcare. And it's pretty clear that the government of the last decade and one year uh, has not been providing for that. Um, and so this isn't about being like, if another party comes in, they'll suddenly magically make everything better. But I do think that what we're seeing is a real wheel turning in terms of the value system in Ireland and people's politics and what they actually want and what they need. And because obviously so many people are suffering acutely from the housing crisis, any really radical change that comes in around that needs to happen and is positive. And it's pretty obvious that be it Dara O'Brien or be it the previous housing ministers, be it Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, they are the architects of the housing crisis. They're not going to be the people who can fix it. And so... But who is? What the problem now is with Sinn Féin being the most important leading party and then not coming out with any stance on climate change, which is the biggest issue we have. Who's going to fix it? Well, I think that that's a separate. That's a separate. That's a separate podcast. Podcast. <laughs> that might be a bit loud for this summer jam. I think it's pretty obvious to people who work across that you know across housing um, that there's 
you know, a parallel housing policy crisis alongside the housing crisis. And I think when people listen to the ideas of people like Keno Callahan or like um, Rebecca Moynihan or like um, Ono Brin, they see much better solutions in what they're proposing than um, Finfall and Finnegal making these interventions that don't work and in fact make things worse and then they just default to like it's not our fault there was a crash and it's like yeah but it's like 2022 so I think that um, any anything that any uh, person or any group of people that come in to uh, address that um, that focus on public housing that focus on ending uh, you know the land speculation that underpins so many high prices that focus on uh, urban planning and density in a way that builds community and that doesn't atomize or isolate people or um, displace um, communities that long-standing communities, particularly working class communities in urban areas. I think anybody kind of who who has a breeze looks at what's happening in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's housing policy and just thinks opposite land to what we need. So whoever comes in if they are changing from that ver- like really warped ideological approach um, around market-led stuff, around HAP collapsing, basically, but just flooding it with, you know, close to half billion euro now um, from 15 million, up from 15 million not too long ago, um, who understand that like bill to rent is not sustainable, who understand that it's not just about supply, it's about affordable supply, who understand things about urban living, about getting people back into cities where businesses are suffering because of the lack of footfall. Um, all of those things, they they're just don't feel like they're on either Finfall or Finnegal's agenda. So whoever can change that, I think uh, should be onto a winner in terms of people's actual needs and not the needs of institutional investors. That's my thoughts. Cute. Number 19. <laughs> Biodiversity Loss Citizens Assembly is coming in September. This means a lot more conversations about what is going on in nature. And I, for one, am obviously here for that as a, a, the number one fan of nature and discoverer. Discoverer. The Christopher th- Columbus of nature. I think, exactly because it already existed. I think that um, uh, it's going to actually could be a really great moment for loads of juicy conversations on solutions and, and oh, how to use the word solutions. I sound some fucking corporate person. But ideas and good vibes and positive things and great initiatives to actually tackle biodiversity loss. So hopefully that Citizens' Assembly will really kind of enter the public consciousness. And there's loads of things coalescing at the same time that I think will elevate it in a way um, that it may not have been a couple of years ago. Obviously, some of those things are very stark and negative, but all of them offer an opportunity for us to be like, let's just fucking sort this shit out. Like we're known for our greenness and our and our gorgeousness. So let's make that real um, and stop biodiversity loss and in fact, encourage biodiversity flourishing island-wide. Stop the green desert, man. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? That was what the fuck was that, Andrea? <laughs> <laughs> Number 20. And the probably the most important summer jam there is. I can't believe you're putting this in. 
It's 150 days till Christmas. <laughs> Just now. I want number 20 to be Beyonce's new album is coming out this week. But we know oh, Andrea is feeling like Beyonce. Like, why? Why do you Her find your voice? so boring. I can't. Oh, God. OK. Well, listen. I literally get attacked all day when I'm working in Trap Pop. They're like, we love Beyonce. I'm like, I absolutely hate it. So it's not going on the playlist. This is my. <laughs> I'm wow. No, I, do. I I have it on. I'm obviously listen to my stuff. Thank you very much. Well, you yeah. won't break my cell, Andrea. And like while you song. might be looking looking forward to 150 days to Christmas, I'm looking forward to just one day to be I'm honest. Actually not even. I don't actually really like Christmas that much. I just think everyone <laughs> can't stand Christmas. So, it's so our number 20 is really up for grabs. <laughs> if you've got any summer jam ideas, please drop them in the comments. Click subscribe, leave a review on iTunes. And we hope that you have enjoyed our 20 point plan for summer jam. We're skipping Get in the Sea and It's Bananas uh, this week because we don't want to make you angry after our 20 good vibes, essentially. Um, but we're going to go straight to our fave bits. Andrea, hit me with your fave bits. I'm very bad at fave bits this week as I've come from one of my fave bits of the year at the weekend. I was at a cowboy uh, themed tinsel rodeo um, in Camer, which was absolutely phenomenal. Recovered Monday in work like long shifts Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we're here. So I don't have any concept of the world apart from the fact that now that it's Thursday, I'm ready to start talking about the weekend again because I'm going to a festival. It's taken me four days to actually comprehend the fact that I'm going back festivaling and I can't <laughs> wait. Uh, now that it's Thursday, delighted. Ready for all together now. Absolutely egg buzz oil. Uh, loads of great acts that I probably won't see. Just excited to go for a wander in the trees and have a ball. Andre, what would be your like, what is your, I think we approach festivals a little bit differently. Would you say? You and I? Yeah. Um, I don't know. How would you say you approach them? I try and do like see loads and loads of music. And yeah, I do. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> cool. First bit there. And... I, I've, well, this is just, I don't know what this says about me. Maturity, fatigue, age, um, social reluctance. I'm a more slow and steady wins the race approach to festivals these days, I think. I think that's the Glassdale influence coming in because like it's five nights and you can't just be Captain Bananas on the Wednesday. Okay. So yes, I think it's fair to say we approach it very differently. I but I don't really look at the lineups usually and I have my key thing and then I go on a journey that I allow the festival to take me on and I, I give into it and see where it brings me. So I don't have any expectations or any plans and go on a little wander around and see who I, who brings me on a journey and what, what that journey is. And I see then end up seeing bands that I never would have seen because of usually I would go and see the ones I like, which makes sense. But yeah, it's more exploratory. It's a time of exploration for me and um, meeting new people. That's my favorite thing about a festival is who you meet that you don't expect, that you haven't planned for um, and being open to new experiences. I think your approach is way better. 
I think my approach can be a bit regimented. Which is not the word that should ever be used at a festival. Got a problem with being uptight when it comes to fitting loads of music in, I think. You're a great person to be with at a festival, a great person to hang out with, actually. You'd be, I think you're probably in my top three festival, top two, maybe, a festival um, crew members. Yeah, defo. Um, Now, I don't see that being reciprocated right now, so I'm going to move swiftly on to my fave bits. Um, my fave bits, I was having a pint in Kyo's pub in Dublin last night. Haven't been in Kyo's in years, I think. And I just forget what a gorgeous pub it is, particularly the upstairs lounge. I do love Kyo's. So that's going in my fave Can bits. I- I know I always do this to your fave bits. Go on. I still held a grudge against them after they wouldn't let me, wouldn't serve me because I was wearing tracksuit bottoms. Oh, <laughs> no, that's not a vibe. Yeah. If okay. you want to read my story, check out the RTE website. <laughs> they actually did a piece on it. Oh my God, amazing. Um, my other fave bit, I went to a table quiz in the Circular Pub in Rialto at the weekend. It was a books themed table quiz and our team came second last. Um, nevertheless, it was all about the taking part and the guy who does the quizzes in the circular put so much effort into it. And can I just say, I know this is so, you know, the way sometimes when you see a good idea executed, you just realize how bad the previous way of doing things was because it's so simple. Mm -hmm. The questions aren't read out. They're put up on a projection screen. So you don't have to listen to somebody like talking really loudly about the questions. You can kind of just like discuss them amongst your own teammates and it just creates a much better quiz ambiance. And I really appreciated that. Interesting. Hmm. Um, my other fave bit is, I may have mentioned some of these before, the um, McEnroe doc, if you're into sports, tennis, people being very interesting. Uh, it's a good one. Check it out. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, just like how rock starry um, and hedonistic uh, that era of um, tennis players and tennis icons was, um, all the partying and all of the on-court explosions. And it's just a really interesting, because I, I kind of forgot about his trajectory in a way and just how he he really kind of owns how out of control his temper and his anger management was and and really the impact that had on his career um, and on his sense of self and that kind of stuff. It's very, very interesting. Um, my other favourite... Andre Agassi. Is oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I also fancied Agassi, yeah. But he has an amazing memoir, actually. That's really worth uh, reading. I can't remember the name of it, but I remember reading it years ago and it's really, really good. Um... My other fave bit, Kirkos Ensemble, which is an amazing music collective. They're having a birthday festival in Stony Batter in Dublin this weekend. All of the events are free, but you, they are ticketed. So if you just go onto the website, um, Kirkos, I think it's under the, in their menu, it's under 10. It's their 10th birthday and all the tickets, you can book them on Eventbrite and they're free. And there's going to be like music bits in Phoenix Park and in their own venue, Unit 44 in Stony Batter and um, Emer Walsh is screening a new piece and they're an absolute legend. So like, yeah, really lovely gorge bits. And just 
close to that, um, one of the best art exhibitions I've seen in ages is um, on in Dublin 7 at the moment. It's by um, Niall Cullen. A lot of people will know him as Curb Junkie, um, skater, filmmaker, graffiti artist and visual artist, generally sculptor. Um, the exhibition is called Evolve and he's doing um, kind of private tours tours of it so you can hit him up on on instagram or something if you want to if you're in that in the d7 area and want to see that i just thought it was so well realized and it was really really inspiring so fair play to him and to all of the artists doing deadly bits at the moment it's just so needed and you kind of don't see art for ages or whatever or maybe forget your patterns of going to see stuff and then you go see something and just come out of it completely lifted and inspired and grateful and full of energy about um, the creativity of people in this country. So that was Brill. I'm going to see the new Jordan Peele film next week. Nope. And I'm very excited about that. Big fan of his other films, Get Out and Us. So love a juicy, complex, horror, thriller, psychological vibe. Um, Mid-12th of August... In Belfast, there's a massive gig on in Falls Park with Imelda May, Damien Dempsey and Kneecap, part of Fail and Fubble. I think that's going to be deadly. So if you're in the Belfast area, August 12th, that's on. Um, I have been watching How to Change Your Mind on Netflix, the series by um, adapted from Michael Pollan's book of the same name. And it's about the history of psychedelic research medical research their therapeutic value and what they do neurologically and it's just brilliant it goes through um lsd and psilocybin and mdma and masculine and gives really really great context for how reactionary conservatism shut down all of the incredibly important research that was being done on psychedelics um and their use for ptsd and in therapeutic settings and how that kind of set back innovations in psychotherapy and um, psychiatry for so long because of like stupid maniac war on drugs that doesn't work and is just a moralistic load of bullshit. And it's just really, really fascinating. Um, and your man, Michael Pollan, uh, presents it. And, you know, anybody interested in that kind of stuff, I think you probably know a good bit uh, about about it if you are interested in it, but it's still um, a well-produced show with some fascinating people like the people who've, who um, resynthesized MDMA and like, it's just, it's just really fascinating from like a science perspective and from a social perspective. So check that out. Ready for the weekend. And <laughs> then um, my other fave bit is a film I'm going to see at the weekend that obviously I can't, you know, give an assessment of it because I haven't seen it yet. But I just love that this film exists. It's a documentary called Fire of Love and it's about two this couple who were volcanologists and it's a documentary about them going around the world and all of the work uh, research and stuff that they did on volcanoes and how they documented it. And I'm just excited to see that. And what a great time. No, they were a couple like, I don't know how, yeah, they were, they were like, uh, uh, you know, they were in a relationship and they were just going around doing their volcano bits. So it's a love story. Yes. It's basically um, made in Manhattan, but like Vesuvius. Love it. What a pit. Speaking of um, 
the earth. It's time for Book of the Week. Book of the Week. Okay, our book of the week this week comes tinged with sadness. Um, and that's because James Lovelock uh, died this week on his 103rd birthday. Um, James Lovelock, along with Lynn Margulies, uh, developed Gaia theory, which, or Gaia theory, really, people call it Gaia hypothesis as well, but it's basically uh, theorized how the earth functions as a living organic system and how. Um, living organisms, how they interact with non-living organisms in their surroundings, how they change the earth, how the earth changes them and how kind of everything works in this like biosphere idea in terms of um, evolution and everything that we are, you know, that is vital to think about right now. Um, And so I'm bringing back uh, a very short book if people are looking for an introduction to Gaia theory. It's called We Belong to Gaia. It's by James Lovelock and the hypothesis is somewhat laid out in that. Um, And it's a very short, uh, interesting book that kind of may change your perspective on various uh, climate discourses. And if you're looking for more stuff on James Lovelock, he appeared um, late last year on Conor Habib, Friend of the Pods uh, podcast. There's also an episode that Connor has with Lynn Margulies, uh, which was the last interview she did before she died. So, um, yeah, I just think thinking about all of that stuff at this time is really important. So rest in peace, James Lovelock, you absolute legend. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mang and Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his Tuna Chicken Roll for soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design. Massive feedback on last week's Tuna Chicken Roll. <laughs> because we dropped it without any context. Um, it was, of course, um, what's it, the T-shirt? The T-shirt did it. Uh, Chameleon, I believe, yeah. the artist. Banger. Loads of people wanted to know where they could get it. You can listen to it on SoundCloud uh, if you look for the should Taoiseach did it and it is the sound of the summer but of course Andrea you are a never ending font of tuna chicken roll knowledge so what is the one this week? It should be Summer Jam but we've had it before so instead it is Told You So by Mary Lam Lam <laughs> I love Mary Lam Lam amazing I don't know this I'm looking forward to hearing it Oh my god they're Asian um, and it's a banger Awesome. I've been Ada Balali. I've been Andrea Warren. This has been United Ireland. And that was something like a summer jam. We're okay. going to party as much as we can. Whoa.